Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Ryan Bull, in for Emily Donahue this week. Here with me today is Emily Hawthorne, our senior Middle East and North Africa analyst, here to talk about Iraq's government formation process. Thanks for joining me, Emily. Thank you, Ryan. So let's start with the background. What is going on with the Iraqi government at the moment? Yeah, so right now there is a standoff between some rival Shia majority camps in the Iraqi parliament in the Iraqi political system. This standoff is preventing government formation, and it's really underscoring the inefficiencies of how the Iraqi government system is structured. I think this has really come into focus in the mainstream news because um, over a recent weekend, um, followers of the Shia leader Muqtada Sadr breached Baghdad's green zone barricades twice, and they sort of set up camp in parliament. They were doing a sit-in. Um, They're demanding new elections, they're demanding wholesale political reforms, and their rivals, um, this other major camp, it's uh, known as the Shia Coordination Framework, um, many of which the groups under that umbrella are more sort of Iran-leaning, pro-Iran, they held competing protests and um, they have um, asked the followers of Muqtada Sadr to stand down. Um, the big sort of takeaway from this is um, it's really these two major groups that are preventing the formation of a government um, really 10 months after we just had uh, these uh, elections in October 2021. And it's preventing a lot of um, Baghdad's ability to really rule on anything or make policy on anything. So... What's different this time? We've obviously seen political chaos in Iraq's most recent history. Uh, So what's different this time from some of the previous political chaos we've seen? Yeah, I think there are two main differences. One, this is one of the longest times that we've gone between election to government formation. And, you know, as I was just sort of getting to, that just prevents a a plain and simple problem uh, in terms of political continuity, business continuity, um, economic issues. There's just an issue when you don't have um, uh, a strong government sort of in power ruling over a country. Um, there is a caretaker government in place, of course. Um, the caretaker prime minister, Mustafa Al-Qadami, has called for a national dialogue process to try and ease the impasse, but he's he's not really able to exert the kind of uh, of influence that he would if we had a sort of settling in this dispute between these two big rival camps. So I think that's one thing that's different is just it's been a really long time since those elections. Uh, and, you know, we're coming up uh, on potentially a year of of this rival impasse and this uh, these attempts between these two rival camps to try and come up with different permutations for how to form a government. And they just continue to fail um, really due to the the rivalry between these two groups. And that gets to the second reason, um, the second thing that I think is different about this time, and it gets to sort of the heart of the rivalry between these groups and why they're so 
um, opposed to each other right now. I think this is a real testing moment for how um, Iraqis want to be governed, how the Iraqi elite think Iraq should be governed. The main question is um, about whether there should be a majority government in place or whether there should be a consensus government in place. And I, I can just break that down a little bit. Um, the followers of Muqtada Sadr and, and Sadr himself, they've been pushing for a majority government. And that's because they won the most seats in that October 2021 election. Um, and they want to be able to exert the most influence and control in the parliament um, and sort of see that reflected in, in policy. Um, they think that that's a way for parliament to be more accountable to what people actually want, because it would be reflecting what actually kind of came out in the majority vote. However, consensus government, which is what the Shia coordination framework wants, is really how Iraq has been governed since the, uh, you know, in, in this post-Saddam period since 2003. And it's intimately linked with this system called the Muhassasa Ta'ifiya or the sectarian quota system um, that, you know, sort of informally and formally grants different positions of power to different sects in the um, Iraqi government. And the idea is that everyone is represented to some extent. Everyone gets some government financial spoils. Um, and there has been an argument that this sort of helps keep the peace in Iraq by giving everyone a bit of the proverbial government pie. Um, but, you know, really for the first time, Sutter has been trying to push really hard for this majority government. Um, there have been other non-Sutter voices, uh, civil society activists that are more secular, um, uh, non-Shia Iraqi um, leaders and activists who have been pushing for majority government, of course. Um, but this, I think, was like a real testing moment for whether that could actually happen. And the reality is just with the way that the, the sort of rules of the Iraqi system um, are, it, it is really hard to get to sort of the next stage in the government formation process if the basic sort of blocks in parliament um, can't come to an agreement on some of the very first steps. In this case, it was agreeing on who would be president. Um, and that requires a two thirds vote. And that's kind of where all the talks have, have fallen apart. So those are the two reasons why I think this is different um, this time around. So that's some of the internal dynamics. What does this mean going forward for both Iraq as well as the rest of the region? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, because Iraq is one of those countries, um, and you and I have talked about this a lot, Ryan, Iraq's one of those countries in the region that it has um, seen a lot of external regional powers try, um, in some cases successfully, in some cases not as successfully, but try to exert their own influence on um, Iraq's internal affairs. Um, Iran is a major one, um, and Iran does have a lot of influence uh, within uh, one of these rival groups, the Shia coordination framework. As I mentioned, there are a lot of sort of pro-Iran or Iran-leading leaning groups, political parties, militias that sort of fall under that umbrella. So one thing that we could see happen is external intervention by Iran um, to try and sort of ease this impasse, sort of perhaps um, Iranian leaders might um, quietly uh, try and convince um, the leaders of the Shia coordination framework to change their demands or reduce their demands or, or adjust something so that Iran, Iraq is able to form a government. So that's one thing that we could see happen. And it sort of reflects uh, and it reflects how Iraq 
does have these links to countries like Iran. Um, and I think how that plays out, and if we do see that, it'll be really indicative of how Iraqi stability matters to countries like Iran um, for um, just a number of economic and security reasons and also geographic reasons, Iraq being immediately adjacent to Iran and um, Iraq's security situation um, having potential sort of spillover effects to to Iran. Um, and also the government in Baghdad being a place where um, Iran does want to maintain a foothold um, it, having some sort of control within that government enables Iran to sort of push against Western influence in Baghdad, um, as well as Turkish influence in Baghdad. That's another country that that has sort of a small stake in whatever happens in Iraq. Um, so that's one thing I think um, that we should be thinking about moving forward. Another thing that's very simple and straightforward is that there is a high likelihood of unrest, um, demonstrations, protests, and with it, there is that risk of violence. One of Muqtada Sadr's calling cards is his ability to sort of galvanize followers in the street. He has a lot of of constituents, followers, people that support him. Um, the worst case scenario for Iraq and then also for countries outside of Iraq that care about Iraqi stability would, of course, be an outright violent conflict between these two camps. That's not unheard of. It's not our most likely scenario at this point, but it's not, you know, unheard of. Um, and then, you know, another sort of thing I think that we should watch is just how this situation unfolds in terms of any actual sort of reforms for the political system in Iraq. As I mentioned, the situation is sort of unveiling and sort of revealing in this glaring way some of the inefficiencies and, you know, inconsistencies in the post-2003 Iraqi system. There are ways that the Iraqi system does not serve Iraqis, and they want to change that. And even Iraqis who aren't you know, followers of Sutter or supporters of the Shia coordination framework, they might agree with one or the other camp on sort of what they want to do in terms of reform to the system, changes to the system. And I think because in so many ways, the Iraqi system, you know, since Saddam's, you know, downfall in 2003, since the US coalition invasion at that time, it still is quite new in a way and quite recent, the system. And I think it still is sort of being uh, reformed and changed and rehashed. And I think that it behooves any sort of country that had any sort of involvement in that 2003 um, invasion of Iraq to see what happens with this system in Iraq, what happens as, as sort of the inconsistencies within the Iraqi constitution are dealt with moving forward. Well, there's certainly a lot of moving pieces within the Iraqi system and a lot of regional implications to monitor, and we're glad that you're on the case, Emily. Sign up for the free Worldview newsletter from Rain. We'll send you regular updates on Iraqi geopolitics and how it affects the greater Middle East. Find out more at worldview.stratford.com. That's worldview.stratford.com. I'm Ryan Bolt. Thanks for listening.